0: Creative Sandbox Way Podcast, episode 141. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, Creativity Instigator, Facilitator, Trainer, Passion Pluralite Artist, and author of The Creative Sandbox Way, which you can find at an Amazon near you, here to address all your questions about instigating transformation through play at work and at home. Whether you think of yourself as not artistic, not creative, which is a lie, or you think of yourself as an artist, as a creative of any kind, or anything in between, no matter how you define yourself, feeding your creative hungers makes you feel more alive. It's how you change your life, and it's how you change the world. Because that's how it works. Change your life and the world changes. And guess what? Play is how we get there. Play is not the opposite of work or productivity. Play is how we make work more effective. If you celebrated Christmas this week or Hanukkah last week and the week before, I hope you had a very lovely holiday. And if you haven't listened in a while and you're wondering what is going on with the music and the the name, it sounds different. Listen to last week's episode, episode 140. I explain everything there. Yeah. Just check out that episode, episode 140. This week... Episode 141 is a conversation episode. It's an interview. I bring to you Dr. Amy Clymer, who teaches teams to be creative and innovative. And yes, in case you're wondering, creativity is absolutely something you can learn. It's something that you can get better at. You it's like a muscle that you can strengthen. I mean, what do you think my Creative Sandbox Way guideposts are, but tools for enhancing and strengthening creativity. So given that Amy Clymer is all about teaching teams to be more creative and more innovative, it's a big surprise that I wanted to bring her on the show. Not, (laughs) not a big surprise at all, because Amy Clymer is all about deliberate creativity. And in fact, she has her own podcast, which is called The Deliberate Creative. And it's all about leading innovation in business teams. Amy is a speaker and a trainer and a coach in creativity and innovation and team development. And through her company, Climber Consulting, that's Climber without the B C L I M E R, climber consulting, she teaches research-based practices, tools and techniques that teams can use to innovate on demand. And really, isn't that what we all want to be able to do, whether it's whether it's in a, you know, a corporate team or in our own lives? in an art practice, or just like figuring out how to fix something, you know, in your kitchen. Isn't that what we want to do to be able to create and innovate on demand? Anyway, this was a really fun conversation. I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, a little bit more about Amy. She holds a PhD in leadership and change from Antioch University and a master's degree in outdoor education from the University of New Hampshire. She is trained uh, or certified in creative problem solving, immunity to change, and the foresight thinking system. And she developed what she calls the deliberate creative teams scale to help teams understand how to increase. Their creativity. And we talked about that in our conversation. And as I said, she's the host of the Deliberate Creative, a podcast and blog designed to teach others how to facilitate innovation in teams. So if that's something that you're interested in doing, definitely check out her podcast. That's how I found her is through her podcast. And it's, it's really excellent. She is also the designer of climber cards, again, spelled like her name, C-L-I-M-E-R. And those cards are a uh, creativity and team building tool used by thousands, including myself, to deepen team conversations and generate ideas. And they're, they're so brilliant. I, I absolutely love climber cards. They're a great tool. And we're going to talk about them more in our conversation. So stay tuned for that. And in 2016, Amy won the Carl Ronke Creativity Award from the Association for Experiential Education. And you can learn more about Amy and her work at climberconsulting.com. Again, that's C-L-I-M-E-R-consulting.com. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Amy. Well, let's talk about what you do, what, what, got me excited about bringing you on the show is I'm personally really interested in bringing creativity and play into the organizational world, whether that be corporations or nonprofits or, you know, any kind of place where groups and teams and are working in, I don't know, organizational settings. Mm -hmm. And so I got really interested in, in talking to other people who are using creativity in organizational settings to see what they're doing. And so I wanted to talk to you because I know you're doing really interesting stuff. So let's talk about what you do and how you got started doing what you're doing. Sure. Okay. So
1: I have a company I called Climber Consulting. And basically, it's it's me. And I I'm a speaker, trainer, facilitator, coach, uh, teaching people how to use creative problem solving and how to apply that in their work. And ultimately teaching people how to be more creative. Primarily, I work with teams and organizations. Um, Sometimes, like in the example I just talked about, I'll do one-on-one coaching, particularly for leaders or those who are trying to kind of lead the process. I Let's see, in 2016... About a year and a half ago, I finished my PhD, and in my PhD process, I developed an assessment scale that measures these three different elements that teams need if they want to be creative together. So it's called the Deliberate Creative Team Scale. And I've kind of developed this whole system called the Deliberate Creative Team System to help teams understand here's how we are actually creative together. Um, I think one of the challenges is that we might understand creativity individually, Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Um, But there's something that happens in a team. And a lot of times people actually become less creative when they're part of a team. And what we'd hope for is that the opposite would happen, that they would become more creative by being a part of the team because there is incredible potential, incredible creative potential when a team can get together and they can collaborate and they actually know what they're doing. Um, You know, if you look at like any any invention or anything that was developed of any significance in the last probably hundred years, pretty high chance it actually came from a team and not from an individual. So yeah, I get really passionate about creativity and teams. That's what I do.
0: So what are the three elements that help a team be creative together? So the three elements are team purpose that a team needs to actually to understand
1: what the purpose is of that team. Um, And on one hand that might seem obvious, but And sometimes it is obvious, like a team has come together to do a certain project or they're a committee designed to solve a problem. But sometimes it's not obvious, like an executive team. Well, what's the purpose of an executive team? And when I've worked with clients that are on an executive team and I've asked them, hey, what's your purpose? They often fumble and they can't answer that question. So there has to be a clear sense of purpose for the team. The second is the team needs to have strong team dynamics. Specifically, they need to communicate well, they need to trust each other, and they need to be able to engage in creative abrasion. And creative abrasion is where we can disagree around like ideas and concepts and how we might work together, but we're not disagreeing because of our personalities or identities. So we can kind of get into debates around like, will this work, will this not? But I'm not saying like, oh great, here goes Melissa again. <laughs> like that's not helpful. <laughs> um, and so it's really like a team being able to embrace everybody's strengths and kind of play on those strengths. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is they need to understand a creative process and use the creative process. So that could be creative problem solving, design thinking, human centered design. It doesn't really matter which one they're using because they're all they're all similar. There's a ton of overlap and for the most part, they're all good. Uh, they just need to have a process that they're using and that they understand how that process works.
0: Oh, wow. Very cool. And so you created this assessment scale. And so how does that work? People like take an inventory to, to figure out where they are on the scale? Yeah. So so the, the scale is designed
1: for a team. So it's, an individual couldn't take it. It wouldn't make any sense. But say there's 10 people on the team, all 10 people get uh, the scale, which is basically uh, like a link. It would be like doing a survey monkey or something where they go in and they just answer, I think it's 29 questions that range from like a Likert scale, one to six, strongly disagree, strongly agree. And the questions are all about behaviors within the team. So the team has to have been together at least long enough that they have some like that they've worked together a little bit. So if a team's brand new, they're not gonna be able to answer the questions. Um and I, I don't have a time frame because sometimes you can have a group that's been together for a week, but they've worked together for that full week all day, every day, and they're like really far in their developmental process together. And then other times you have a team that's been together for six months, they meet once a month for half an hour. And they're like, even after six months, they're still kind of in that beginning forming stage. So there's not a set time the team has to be together. They just have to have been together long enough to have sort of some norms around their behavior. Um, So the questions are all around that. And then they get the results. The results get all aggregated. And then they can see in those three areas of team purpose, team dynamics, and team creative process, like where they're at. And then they can know like, okay, this is an area we need to work on, or this is actually an area we're doing really well. So that's, they kind of get a baseline basically, and then they could take it again, like in six months or a year and see how, how have they changed?
0: So if the, if the results spit out that, um, we've got a really strong team purpose and we've got say strong team dynamics, but we don't have a strong team creative process, then they could get some help around developing a stronger team creative process, that kind of thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And that's exactly how I use it with with my clients. Um, Just an example, I was working with the marketing team of a software company a few months or a year ago maybe. Gave them the scale, presented the results of the scale, now, of course, I knew the results before I met them in person, um, you know, because I had looked over them and and I had it planned out where well, we were going to spend the afternoon focusing on creative problem solving. So I gave them the results, the scale, and they're, we're going through them and they're like, okay, okay, great, we get it. When do we get to start learning how to do creativity? And so their motivation for the afternoon portion on creative problem solving had just skyrocketed. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they were already into it. You know, I will admit they were like a pretty engaged team, but now all of a sudden they had this data. It was like, oh, okay, this is what we need to do. Let's go.
0: That is so cool. And so this scale, is that something that you offer to other facilitators so that they can use it with their, the teams that they're working with? Uh, yes, sort of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it's still, uh, the scale
1: is developed, so it's finished. So like if you wanted to use it with some of your clients, then basically the process would be right now, just reach out to me, we would set that up. Uh, my hope is that eventually, I don't know of a time frame quite yet, uh, maybe in 2018, that that would be all automated. And so you could just log onto a website, enter your login, and you could, as a facilitator, get the scale, send it to your clients. Right now you do have to
0: interface with me, but it is still available. So yeah. That is so brilliant. So that was really the focus of your PhD was really developing that.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, I went into getting the PhD. So I started in 2011 with this question around how, how can teams be more creative? And why are some teams creative? And why are some not? And having had experiences on both of those types of teams, I was curious to dig in more and to look at yeah, how can I help teams be more creative and kind of move in that direction? And it wasn't until I got into the actual dissertation research where the idea for the scale
0: emerged. So that brings to mind a question. What, what is the definition of creativity? What does it mean for a team to be, you know, you say, you know, some teams are creative and some teams are not creative. What does that mean? So the definition that I often use, and I'm sure you
1: heard some variation of this at SIPSE, the Creative Problem Solving Institute, is creativity is novelty that is valuable. So when I think of novelty, what I think of is something original, unique, different, new, um, I don't think of novelty stores like selling cheap plastic paint <laughs> overseas. That's not what I mean. <laughs> although that's kind of a funny definition of novelty. Um, so anyway, so something unique, new, and then something valuable. And valuable doesn't have to be financially valuable, although it could be. But it could be emotionally valuable. It could be something that um, helps make our life easier in some way. I mean, there's valuable in the very broadest sense. So creativity is novelty that is valuable. So for a team, it's about figuring out, okay, how do we collectively create that? How do we generate novelty that is valuable? That's kind of how I think about creativity. And I guess I'll I'll admit, I, I don't get too hung up on the definition of creativity or on the definition of innovation. And sometimes I use those words interchangeably. Um, I think, sometimes I think people think of creativity as just generating ideas, but to me, it's about actually also implementing those ideas. Some people think of the implementation as being innovation. It doesn't matter to me what word is used, but when I say creativity, I'm also talking about implementation.
0: Yeah. Well, as somebody who has lots of ideas, but doesn't always implement on all of them, yeah, um, the, I mean, the only ones that make a difference are the ones that get implemented on. <laughs> exactly right. Like most people have more ideas than they implement. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, and and I I think of you know ideas are a dime a dozen. Like they're cheap. Like they're not important. They're not impressive. It's what do you do with those
0: ideas? Right. I mean, what? Gosh, when I was maybe seven years old, I had the idea of taking roller skates and putting all the wheels in a line. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, because I was was ice skating, and I was like, gee, wouldn't it be nice to be able to ice skate when there's no ice? I live in California, so there was, you know, there was one ice rink, and (laughs) we didn't have ice in the winter anyway. I mean, like, it it never snowed here, so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I get it. I grew up in Florida. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) And I had this idea, but I wasn't the one who invented inline skates, you know. I might have in, I invented it in my head, but I didn't take it to market. Yeah, so there you great.
1: go. Yeah, great, great example. And I think we've all had that. Like, there's something we saw somewhere in a store. We're like, oh my gosh, I had that idea five years ago, and I didn't do anything with it. Yep, <laughs>
0: exactly. So let's talk about the creative problem solving process, which is one way of or one um, ver- I don't know what the word is but one example of applied creativity which is a concept that was actually quite new to me when I discovered it applied creativity what the heck is that something that I discovered at SIPSI the Creative Problem Solving Institute just this past June a conference in Buffalo New York that's been going for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, it's some crazy number of years.
1: Yeah. I was going to say over
0: 40, maybe in the seventies, it started it's been going for a crazy long yeah. time. And I know this is something that you have a ton of expertise on and that it's something that you teach your clients and that you use yourself and that you have used for your own products, like mm-hmm. your climber cards, which I'm a huge fan of, by the way. Oh haven't had a chance to use them with clients yet, but I'm super excited to. So tell us about the creative problem-solving process. Sure. Okay. So it's the process. It was derived or
1: it wasn't invented because it's a natural process that we all go through. But I think it it was coined in the 40s and 50s by um, Alex Osborne and Sid Parnes. And since then, it has been refined and researched and morphed over time. And so the the way it looks today uh, is there's four four steps, four stages, and those are clarify, ideate, develop, and implement. So we start off and we have to clarify, like, what is it we're trying to be creative around? What's the issue? What's the problem? What's the challenge that we have? And really clarifying so that we understand that. That might involve like getting some more data, seeing what else is out there, how other people solve this problem.
0: Um,
1: and also so that you're solving the right problem, right? Exactly. Yeah. And if you're someone like me, like I love the second stage, which is ideate. Me too. Yeah. Right? So I have to be careful because if I don't take the time to clarify, I'm just coming up with ideas for something that is not like I have the wrong problem in my head. Um, especially if I'm working with somebody else, they're like, okay, tell me more, (laughs) you know, um, so I can jump into ideate too soon, but anyway, so we clarify the, the issue and maybe I can, if it makes sense, walk through how I created climber cards and how I use it. Yes. Okay. So climber cards, it's just a simple deck of cards. It looks like playing cards. And there are these 52 images that I drew that are designed to help people, Come up with ideas, as well as teams can use them to just help push conversation deeper and in a different direction. So, in the clarify stage, I I had actually made a deck of these cards, a much earlier version that actually weren't that cool looking. <laughs> um, <laughs> they were they were, I mean they were okay, and there are other cards out there. I did not come up with this concept. So one day I was out working with a team, and the team the head person of the team happened to be a good friend of mine. And so I, I used these cards to get the team talking uh, and reflecting on an experience they just had. And then we kind of wrap up the conversation and we're actually walking across this little field to another area. We're going to do some more team building. And my friend says to me, Amy, these cards are really cool. Maybe you should do something with them. I was like, what really? And so that, that comment really got my wheels turning And so then I spent a fair bit of time figuring out what would I do and how would I make this into a product? And so, and that was the clarify stage. I started looking at how do you get a deck of cards manufactured? Um, would there be a market? I started talking to friends like, Hey, would you buy these? Like, do you think this is a valuable thing? Um, and so spent a lot of time with that. What I I originally had these little tiny two inch squares with these paintings on them. And I discovered that if I change the size of the cards to be standard playing card size, like two and a half by three and a half inches, that they would be much cheaper to publish and print, whatever. So I was like, all right, I don't really care about the shape that much. I and mean, I did kind of like the square, but I didn't like it enough. So change that. And then I redid all the paintings because they really weren't that good the first time around. Um, and that was a multi-month process. Um, now, just because of where I was at in life at the time, this was like 2011, like fall of 2011. So I just started my PhD and I had no clue if this project was any good. Like, would it result in anything meaningful, you know, valuable, basically? I didn't know if it was valuable. So I decided that I would only work on it in the evenings or the weekends when I had nothing else to do, uh, which. Is sort of a misnomer because I was working full time and I yeah. just full time. <laughs> but you know that time when like I had been watching TV for half an hour or an hour, like okay, that's what I'm going to work on this product or this project. Um, and anyway, so I started. So that the clarify stage was just getting all this, doing all this research. So then I moved into the ideate stage, and and you can kind of see these were going back and forth. There's definitely some overlap. I think you know when we draw it out on paper, it looks really clean and tidy. But that's not how it actually works in real life. But anyway, so I start ideating and and thinking about what images do I want on the cards, and I and I wanted images that would have multiple meanings. Um, So, for instance, like one of the images is an elephant, and you know another one is um, a giraffe. There's a spiral. There's um, there's all these different images. A lock. Yeah, there's a lock. There's like a combination lock. And so I wanted images that people could like interpret in different ways. Um, So that was kind of my criteria. And I just had this long list of ideas and then I started drawing them. And so then I kind of move into, I guess you could say the development stage where I'm really developing the cards and I'm painting each of them. Now, my wife uh, is a more of a classically trained artist. She has a bachelors of Fine Arts, and she now has her MFA, although she didn't have it then. But uh, so I would paint a picture, and then I would take it to her, and I would say, "Hey, what do you think?" And she would say, "Uh, it's okay. Um, <laughs> you need to, you know, make this darker or shake this in." I'm like, okay, so I go back and on it some more. And so each each painting probably went through at least two, if not three, iterations. Um. And, you know, and just as an aside, that was a time where I really had to stay focused on why am I doing this? Mm. And it kind of goes back to that team purpose. Like, why, why is this important? Because, you know, every time she would say, no, that's not uh-huh. good enough. <laughs> you know, you're kind of <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> fear from the heart, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's like, okay, I got to let go of my ego this isn't about like if I'm a good artist, this is about making a product that's going to work and people are going to want to use and it's going to have an impact. So if that means I have to redraw a painting three times, like whatever, you know? Um, so anyway, so that was the development stage. And another part of the development stage is I ended up getting it funded on Kickstarter. And at the time I, it it was a few thousand dollars, a couple thousand dollars to get it printed. And I didn't have that money and I also was really hesitant to just put that money out there and not having any idea if the, if the cards would sell. Yeah. And so the Kickstarter platform and that whole process was a great way for me to just test this product. Like, do people actually want this? And is anyone going to actually buy it? And it helped me kind of clarify even further, like, why am I doing this? How do I talk about it? Because you have to make like a little video. Um, and you can- right. Yeah, and the video is still up there. I guess they kind of keep those up there indefinitely. Um, but anyway, so I exceeded my goal. I needed to get $2,500, and I think I met, made like $4,300. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And oh, my gosh, I was so nervous. I, I just remember that day of hitting the submit button for the whole campaign to go live. And uh, it was a five-week campaign. There was a ton of work that went into it but um but it worked and so it i found out through that process like okay people are actually interested in this product it's worth you know going all the way with it so cuz i think at that point i had i think i'd done all the paintings uh and maybe that was about it i hadn't like put them into a digital process yet um but anyway so it got funded and so that the develop stage of the creative problem solving process is where you're just like pushing that idea further because at first, it's just kind of this, eh, I mean, basically, the idea could fit on a Post-it note. And then you go into looking at, okay, what are the pluses of this? How could this actually work? What are the problems with this? And that's the develop stage. And then the fourth stage of creative problem solving process is implement. And that's where, okay, like, we make this a reality. So for me, that was sending the file to the printer, getting them printed, uh, you know, shipping out all these product, all these decks of cards. Um, I happened to be in this little town in North Carolina when they came. This little town called Tryon, where my dad lives. And I walked into the post office with like 200 packages. <laughs> they were like, "Oh my gosh, who are you, and why are you bringing us all this mail?" <laughs> oh my gosh! But it was pretty cool. They were great. So. So that's the implementation
0: stage, and that's the last stage, the creative problem-solving process. Okay, so let's walk back through those okay. and link them up with, with your this particular project. So you've got the clarify stage, which is defining the problem, making sure that you're solving the right problem, getting all the data about that problem. And so yeah. you were looking at, is, is this something that you want to do? Mm -hmm. And what, what's all the data that you need to know about it? So what's involved in creating this deck of this deck, you did not even know what it precisely what it would be, right? You had to clarify that it was going to, oh, it's going to be a, instead of these square, square cards, that it would be a playing card, playing card size cards and all those kinds of things. Um, You had to figure out, what else did you figure out in the clarify stage? I also looked at like what else was out there Mm -hmm. um,
1: competition. Yeah. And, and there are a couple other decks out there, but, um, the one that's at that time anyway, that was most popular was basically clip art. And so what I was providing was something that just looked different, uh, was, was hand drawn. Basically they're all watercolor drawings, paintings.
0: That's the thing that really, that I really liked about it. Because um, I was planning on making my own card deck, and mm-hmm. then I found yours. I'm like, oh, I don't have to take the time to make my <laughs> own. And nice. w- and why I wanted to make my own was because I wanted to make it art. Yeah, and because because I there are others that are photography mm-hmm. that I like the idea of having something you know meta- metaphors that people can grab for storytelling and stuff. And um and there are, and photography is nice, you know, postcards, whatever. But I like the art that yours are art. And then also the other thing that you haven't mentioned is the other side of the cards mm. are numbers and they're how many different there are there four or five different. There's five shapes. There are five um, different shapes and the shapes are different colors as well. Is that right? Yep. And so that was an interesting
1: addition. So initially I just had the backs or yeah, the image side of the card and I was a part of, at the time I did a lot of team building programs and I was a part of this like consortium of other uh, challenge course, ropes course team builders. And so I went to one of our meetings with the cards and presented the whole concept. And they're all like, these are awesome. Like, okay. And I, I had two questions for them. One was what do I name them? And two was what could the other side be? And they actually solved both those problems for me. So I, first of all, would never have named them Climber Cards. I was like, really? Like, you think that's it's a good so name? It's so obvious. I know. I know. Maybe. I mean, I shouldn't say I know. I mean, now I, I don't really think about the name anymore. I mean, they've been out there for like five years. and um, But they, yeah, so they really, you know, got, uh, presented that name and convinced me that it was a good name. And all the other names I had tried were already taken by something else, usually something unrelated. So anyway, they solved that problem. And the other thing was they came up with the idea for the other side of the card. So shapes, numbers, and colors. And the purpose is if you have a group of people, say you have 25 people and you give everybody a card and you say, okay, find uh, everybody with your same shape. And now that 25 group of 25 is now in small groups, small, five different groups. um, You know, what is that? Like three or no five people per group or whatever. Um, yeah, it's hard to do math. In the <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just a way to sort people like a big group into smaller groups and, you know, not like a life changing aspect, but just kind of a fun, extra, uh, a fun, extra tool, I guess, with the cards.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That you can sort them by shapes, by color, And then there's numbers on the back as well. So there's multiple different ways that you can sort people and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so like say you wanted
1: 10 groups, then you would use the numbers because there's 10 numbers. Um, Or sometimes you just want people to pair up and you don't want them to like go towards their best friend or the person they work the most with. And so I'll say, find a partner where your numbers add up to greater than five or greater than 10. And so then they have to, you know, kind of sort that out amongst themselves.
0: Yeah. So they just, the cards just give you so many opportunities to, they're just, they're really brilliant. And those are the kinds of things that I was thinking of doing for my own card deck. So it's like, Oh, it's already built. I don't have to build it. So yay. Okay. So you've clarified. And then once you've got the the problem clarified, the next step is ideate. Mm -hmm. And that is when you are using divergent thinking, which oh. we haven't talked about, talk a little bit about divergent thinking, Sure. So
1: there's two types of thinking that you engage in 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 the process of being creative. Um, so divergent thinking is where like our brain we just want to like open up and be. Uh, receptive to as many different ideas as we can. We're trying to generate a lot of ideas or a lot of ways to look at different things. Um, we're going in some different directions. And then convergent thinking is the opposite of that. And it, I believe the technical definition is to choose the one right answer. Um, but basically, it's where you're evaluating the ideas and trying to figure out, okay, well, which do we take forward? So in our society, at least in the United States, we are trained from... From a small child, how to be a convergent thinkers. So you know, even kindergarten, the question. Um, well, maybe in kindergarten you're not doing math, but in elementary school, five plus five equals blank. There's one right answer, and that's ten. But if you had a different question, such as blank plus blank equals ten, now there's five potentially ten different ways to answer that. So it could be two plus eight, three plus seven, whatever. Um, you know, have you ever had a question on a test that said, how many different ways can you solve this problem? Probably not. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And so we have been trained from throughout our schooling on how to be convergent thinkers, but we haven't been trained on how to be divergent thinkers. And I think that's one of the big reasons why people struggle with being creative. It's just a muscle. It's a skill that we can develop and we just haven't developed it well.
0: I think also when when I was at SIPSI and I was in the springboard to create a problem solving class, which teaches the creative problem solving process. The they the uh, my um, primary trainer taught and he was he was taught by somebody with a a, I think a Texas accent yeah you gotta diverge before you converge and (laughs) that you can't diverge and converge at the same time and yet how often do we try to do that we try to come up with ideas but narrow them down at the same exact time and and so we 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 like stifle ourselves right we just like grind to a halt. And so this concept of letting ourselves diverge with and, and deferring judgment, and just coming up with a bazillion ideas and letting them be stupid and crazy and whatever. And then after we've given ourselves lots of space to do that, then, only then do we come back and converge. And like you said, it's a muscle and it takes a while to get used to that because it feels it feels like you're kind of out of control at first. It's like, wait, what are we doing? Whoa. Right. <laughs> but as an ideator, it's really fun when you let yourself do that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And and it's what's interesting, and it may be hard to understand since we're both ideators, is that it's not fun for everybody. For everybody.
0: That's true. Yeah. You know,
1: but it's a skill you can develop. And so even if it's not like your first go-to, most exciting thing to do, I think it's critical to be able to do that, just like it's critical for me as an ideator to be able to clarify. Well,
0: Yeah, so true. Okay, so back to your cards, when you were in the ideating stage, and of course, the stages do overlap, and it's messy and stuff. Let's go back to that. So you were thinking about all of the different images, because you needed 52 images, right to put on your cards, you were thinking about all the different coming up with ideas for all the different images that you wanted on the cards and coming up with what are you going to put on the other side of the cards and what other things were you ideating around? I think also was ideating
1: around, um, how, how they might be used. Um, Mm -hmm. and so one of the ways that I had already used them, the, the original deck where my friend had made the comment was spreading them out on the ground or on the table and asking the group, um select an image that represents how you felt during this past experience during this activity we just did and the cool thing about that question is that people say things that they wouldn't have said without the cards and i don't mean like things that they're going to be uncomfortable sharing but just they just get more real in a way um it, and so there's all sorts of questions all sorts of prompts you can ask um but then i started and actually initially i hadn't thought of using them as an ideation tool That came along a little bit later or sometime during that ideation process of, so there's this technique called, well, there's a couple techniques, associations or forced connections where, so you lay all the images out on the table and you say, okay, what, looking at these images, how, how might we solve our problem or how might these images, what ideas do you get for solving the problem based on these images? And you know, again, like maybe the elephant sparked something around memorization or going to Africa or just going really big. It doesn't matter which image, it's just that it helps us think in different ways. Um so anyway, that was all part of the ideation process of just thinking about different ways to use
0: the cards. So cool. I love it. Okay, so then next up is develop. Mm-hmm. So how did the card? what what happened? What happened there? So for develop, this is where I was, um,
1: you know, drawing all of them, getting the feedback that not redo each one. Um, I I did become a better painter in the process. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I I actually initially started out with, you know, those really cheap, like $2 Crayola or praying watercolor sets. And eventually I I ended up getting like a real set of watercolors. (laughs) Um, but anyway, so that was really, you know, taking the time to draw and actually create all the images. Um, and it's also when I looked at Kickstarter as a tool of how could I, how could I leverage this tool and how could I, um, you know, get it out there. And I developed this whole kind of campaign around Kickstarter. So I had this spreadsheet of like, uh, just how I was going to market it, the whole process. Um, in my head, I think of the develop stage as often involving spreadsheets. So, or if not spreadsheets, some sort of like <laughs> management tool, like Asana or Basecamp, but yeah, something where you're like laying everything out, like, what do we need to do to make this happen?
0: So I love it. And then from there on to implement, which is like getting it out in the world. Yeah. Ship it. Ship it. Yeah. Implement equals ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, that I'd say I borrowed from Seth Godin. He's always
1: like, you know, stop thinking about it and ship it. Just <laughs> ship it. Yeah.
0: Wow, I love that. I love the overlay of the creative problem-solving process on a real project that you did. So cool. Well, oh my gosh, that has taken us back to, we are so close to the top of the hour. So um, since I want to respect your time, did you bring a something cool to talk yeah. about? Oh. <gasps> Yay! What's your something cool?
1: Okay. Um can I do two things? Or yes, just one? I will let you do two
0: things. Because you are hate. you are super, super cool. So I'll share one and then you can
1: tell me if I should go on. Okay. <laughs> so so the one they they kind of go hand in hand, which is why I, I say two things. So one of the issues that I have, and I, I know other people have this challenge as well, is that I have you know, I have an idea and I'm working on implementing it, making it happen, whether I'm in the develop stage or implementation stage. And there are a zillion distractions. (laughs) There's other projects to do. There's, you know, Facebook. (laughs) That's what I was just about (laughs) to say. There's Facebook. (laughs) Right, exactly. You know, so um, one of the things, one of the tools that I use is this app called Focus at Will. And it's a a tool to help you focus. It's basically a website. um, And it Plays music, but it, like most music, and I never thought about this till I went to this website. But most music is designed to engage you. Like you know, we're listening to the radio in the car, and we're like tapping our hands on the steering wheel, and we're singing along. Like we're very engaged and connected with this music, uh, which is fun and that's great. But that's not going to help me focus on my project. So they've designed all this music to help you focus. That's not going to engage you, but. I guess it somehow aligns with your brain waves, which I don't quite understand the science behind it. But all I know is that when I put focus on will on focus at will on, then I can focus better. Wow. They all, yeah, they have all these different channels. There's like the classical, there's kind of an upbeat, there's you can have the coffee shop background noise. Um <laughs> anyway, I'll send you the link so you can put it in the show notes. But uh, that is a tool that I use a lot. And along with that tool, the other tool I use is this thing called Strict Workflow. And it's a free plugin for Chrome, for Chrome browser. And it it looks like a little tomato, like a, um, a tomato, like a timer. But anyway, you click on it and for 25 minutes or whatever time you said, you can change it however you want. You cannot access any social media sites. Oh, great. it's awesome. So, and you can put it in any sites you want. Like, you can include your email if you want. And so I'll turn that on. I have mine set for 30 minutes. And after 30 minutes, you get a five minute break and then you can reset it again. And the only way to break it is to actually cl- turn your computer off and turn it back on again. Wow. Um, so, anyway, those two tools I often use just to really help me focus and get stuff done, get more creative.
0: Oh, I love it. Those are great. I'm excited to check those out. Thanks. Yeah, I love them. Thank you. Super fantastic. Well, my something cool this week is a movie. It's called Super Powerless. And it's I actually was one of the funders for an Indiegogo p- campaign a couple of years ago, I think it was. This is a movie that my best friend and her husband, her husband's the the um, main star of this movie, and my best friend is plays his girlfriend, and it's so good, <laughs> you gotta check it out. It's called Super Powerless and it is, the tagline is, oh, now I'm going to forget the tagline, but it's, um, it's really about middle age. Mm. It's about a superhero, Captain, now I'm going to, I'm going to forget his, um, his name, but it's like Captain Truth or something like that. And it's a superhero who has lost his superpowers. Nice. And it is a metaphor for middle age. And it is so beautiful. It's like, it's heartfelt. And it's, it's, uh, it's beautifully done. That's awesome. And everyone that I have shared it with, It's now available on uh, Amazon and iTunes, and it's been shown at some film festivals and it's gotten really good reviews. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And everyone who I have talked to who has seen it has really liked it. Nice. So it's very redemptive. It's kind of, check it out. Yeah, it's got some dark bits to it, but it's very redemptive and it's really sweet. So super, super powerless the movie. Yeah. You
1: know, it's funny. You would talk, you brought that up about middle age. Cause I was, so this Friday I'm doing a keynote to, um, like 200 college students and it's been 20 years since I was in college. And I was thinking about how, as you get older, like your body for the most part, just wears out more. Like, you know, you're not as fast, you're not as strong. I mean, even if you try to maintain it, you're still like not at your peak, at least for most people, I mean, there's always the exception. But on the flip side, I feel like for me, anyway, like my brain is so much better than I was, you know, at 20, 2025. Um, and so it's almost like this inverse. <laughs> <I know. laughs> like one's getting better, and one's getting worse. <laughs> and your brain just like keeps rocking it, and hopefully until you die. <laughs>
0: well, God, and just m- mentally and psychologically, emotionally, I mean, I'm just such a happier person now than oh, I yeah. was when when I, th- I think about, geez, I mean, it's been more than 20 years for me since I was in college and, oh, my God.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. I don't want to go back.
0: <laughs> no way. I mean, really, the only downside is the physical.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, everything else is awesome.
0: <laughs> everything else is so awesome. I would so not want to go back. Although, you know, like my back and my knees and, you know, all that stuff, it would be really nice to... <laughs>
1: <laughs> right can we just not lose that that'd be cool
0: it would be so cool <laughs> yeah.
1: which you know of course somebody's listening like well if you just worked out more you wouldn't have lost it which <laughs> probably, right
0: <laughs> well you know that only goes so far well, i mean you know cartilage and ligaments and stuff they get tired <laughs> That's true. i That's guess <laughs> in that way we're like a machine we just wear out eventually you just <laughs> yeah you just wear out eventually that which is why it's really important to take care of your body right Absolutely. Yeah. And actually, you know, I used to be a dancer when I was when I was younger, and I got injured. So I couldn't, I couldn't pursue the professional dance career that I really, you know, had my heart set set on. And now, I'm actually kind of glad. I mean, back then it like it was so heartbreaking. And, you know, it it was devastating. But now, like, the probably it's the only reason that I still have my the knees that I was born with and the hips that I was born with.
1: Yeah, it's probably true because you would have worn them out for sure.
0: I am sure I would have. (laughs) Anyway, Amy Clymer, this has been such a treat. I feel like we barely scratched the surface of so many of the things that we could have talked about, but I'm so grateful to you for coming on the show and talking about the creative problem solving process and all the amazing things that you do with teams and and your, uh, the stuff that you did with for your PhD dissertation and all that, it, really, you've elucidated so many things. I am really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the show. This has been really fun. Thank you. That's it. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Amy Clymer. Let me know if you resonated and which part resonated the most for you. And thank you so much for joining me today. If you're getting value out of the podcast, share it with a friend. And I would be super appreciative if you would take a moment and hop on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. I have a new URL for you to do that. At? (laughs) You can go to creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes dash review. That's creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes hyphen review. And you can also still go to livecreativenow.com slash iTunes dash review. That's livecreativenow.com slash iTunes hyphen review because, hey, I'm cool that way. And if you email me to let me know that you left a review and include some way for me to find the review and let me know how the podcast has made a difference in your own life, That's how you can apply to be considered for the listener spotlight, because I'm still featuring listeners on the show. And that is how you apply. If I pick you, we will have a really fun, relaxed conversation, and you'll get to be featured on the podcast. Super cool. That is it. I won't see you or you won't hear me until... Next year. So I hope you have a fun, safe, relaxed, playful, creative new year. And yeah, until next time, thanks again for joining me. and as always, go get creating. Creative Sandbox Way. Subscribe at creativesandboxwaypodcast.com.